Vancouver Island, a land full of rich, diverse cultures where you will find hippies and rednecks at the same local brew pub, blue collar and white collar camping side by side at the lakes, and old and young and everyone in between with one thing in common, we love our island. Portage, that word has happiness, pain, difficulty, and incredible adventures tied to it. Today we're going to be joined by Rachel and Nathan, who have just recently done the Sayward Forest Canoe Route on Vancouver Island. We're going to hear their stories and their experiences from this incredible route. Portage. And no, I'm not starting out like Matthew McConaughey. I know you can see it in your eyes already. That's not, that's not what's happening here. Portage. I'm going to say it as Canadian as possible. How, how, do, you, how do you start with Canadian? Like, really, how, how do you do it? How, how, when you think of Canadian, what do you hear? What, like how to say the word portage Yeah, like when, you, when you hear portage. It's French, so maybe with the French accent. <sighs> you see, I ran into a company that was por- Portage. No, no. Portage promo. Portage promo, and they're out east, and they're great. I worked with them. But they, they went by Portage, so I was very confused. So, like, is it an East Coast, West Coast thing, or is it a Canadian thing to call it Portage? Portage. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just Portage. Okay, Portage is the practice of carrying watercraft over, or cargo, over land, either around an obstacle in a river or between two bodies of water. A path where items are regularly carried between two bodies of water is also called portage. I thought that's what it was before. In Canada, the term carrying place was sometimes used in English. That's kind of clunky. It is a little bit clunky. I think portage really, see, it's kind of like rendezvous. Rendezvous. (laughs) We don't have a good word for like, let's meet over there. But then you say rendezvous. And you're like, yeah. So then, like, let's go to the carrying place. Lame. Let's rendezvous at the portage. Yeah, it, it's way better to have it where you're saying that's the carrying place. We need, we need a word that describes the act of using a boat for its not intended purpose. I think so. And I, I think that word we're going to have to work on. By the end of this episode, we're going to have to have a word that describes that. But why question the French? Yeah, no, they, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. Welcome to the Wild Islander podcast. I'm joined by two fabulous friends, Rachel and Nathan Almakinders. They're fabulous people. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Oh, so, so good. We have worked together in many a different way, but lots of the time at Kids Camp, we worked at Camp Bob, which is a really fun location up north of Campbell River that we worked there for years. And so we did that as directors, we did that as co-workers, had lots and lots of fun, lots of adventures up there, which has been great. And now you guys are adventuring and continuing adventure. And so what I got to hear was that I wanted to put together an episode around portaging because it's kind of this, if you haven't heard of portaging before, the description I gave kind of gives you the briefest overview of what's involved. There's quite a bit involved. And you guys know exactly what's involved because you just did yeah. one of the fun Vancouver Island routes. So where did you go? What did you do? We did the Sayward Forest Canoe Route, also known 
more readily, I think, as the Sayward Lake chain. Which is like a beautiful chunk of amazing lakes north of Campbell River. Yeah, it's an oval shape route of lakes. Yeah, near Campbell River, a little bit north of Campbell River. Yeah, it's a beauty. Uh, it's just so if you're if you're not familiar with the North Island, you got Campbell River and then you got Sayward, and then you got kind of a, a no man's land in between. It's not a whole lot of development. There's not a whole lot of anything. A um, couple little uh, shops and different businesses along the way, but very very remote. And then in the middle of that, you've got the Sayward Canoe Route, which uh, Nathan and I have done back in the day when we were working for camp. We did, and it was uh, it was an interesting experience. It was. We had people from uh, a couple kids from all over, all over the province. Actually, they weren't all they weren't local kids, not all of them. Yeah, we had some from from the interior, yeah. I think, as well as as local and down island. Yeah, and it's a it's a good crash course into hey, so you want to go do something fun on the island? <laughs> yeah. I mean, fun though. We need to talk about the word fun. <laughs> it's true because there's different kinds of fun. There's instant fun, like, wow, I'm being pulled behind a boat going fast on a tube. I'm having so much fun right now. I haven't seen that face, though. I've pulled you on a tube, and I haven't seen that face too many times where it's like, I'm having super fun. But maybe it was because I was driving. Fun can be confused with fear. Yeah. The, the, I interrupted the, you, though. It's, it's you were a on nice, a good track. It's a nice edge, yeah. the fun and fear thing. Yeah. But that's the instant gratification fun. Exactly. The Sayward Lake Chain is not instant gratification fun. It is a deep sense of pride and accomplishment after four days of some fun and some big time suck. So here's the paint the picture. The canoe route is about 50 kilometers of paddling and portaging. Um, it's typically done in about three or four days. Um, there are a few crazy individuals, which we'll talk about later, that do it in shorter times. And some people who like to do it in a more leisurely pace because the option is there. The portage lengths are like eight kilometers um, total is what it kind of works out to be. And then you got about 39 kilometers of paddling. So it's a substantial trip. Like it's not something that you're going to do if you're not prepared or that you're not experienced, which both of you are. So we'd actually chatted a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago and we you know, brought up the maps and we were looking at it and getting excited about it and seeing where it was all going. And like, I had no issues at all whatsoever with two experienced outdoor people like yourselves going and doing this trip. Um, hearing a little bit, which I'm really looking forward to diving into, about your experience in it. But I want to give just a little bit more of the history because um, uh, one of the things that I've had other listeners come in and say, like, hey, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the history bits and stuff. So Sayward, the Sayward Canoe Route um, from the Provincial Forest was named after the pioneer logger and sawmill operator William P. Sayward. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure much more about that, but I'm literally just reading from sitesandtrailsbc.ca because they did a great job. The Sayward Fire of 1938 burned much of the area and was resulted in first planting in B.C., development of the seed orchard and nursery in Campbell River. In 1939, 800,000 seedlings were planted, a huge accomplishment back then. Early logging in the Sayward Forest route was done via extensive work through railroads, so all of those areas that are around there used to have railroads and trestles, which you probably would have seen. Yeah, you find trestles everywhere, and they're either remnants of them in the lakes, or there's actually one on the trail that's still intact. Yeah, so it's like these remnants of these bygone era, which is really neat that they're still there and a part of that. So like, how many do you figure that you saw? Like, like how much 
evidence do you think you see? Because that's a long time ago. Between between like trestle structures and also surprisingly, you can find the mounds of where the tracks have been laid in the forest if you look closely. Random random mound that just continues off in a straight line for a while. Right, right. So it's going to have like a grade that's going to go through yep. and it's built up and stuff. And you'll see that, yeah. Yeah, I think we probably saw three or four trestle structures in the water. None of them particularly solid, mostly just logs in the shape of the supporting mm-hmm. uh, the supporting poles underneath. But the we found a few of those forest grades as well. So not a ton on the route, but definitely evidence of it there. Yeah, pretty remarkable having it been like, you know, the, the 30s or wherever that was that they were doing that and then going up into the 60s. Like there's a lot of really incredible spots back there, all from the logging companies that give us that access. Um, so there was a camp up there. It was called Camp Number Five. It was by the south end of Brewster Lake, which you'll have gone past on that. Uh, it's it's a pretty uh, <laughs> it's a pretty gnarly part. I could I could if you could see Rachel and Nathan's faith right right now. Um, not happy, fond memories necessarily of uh, where Camp Five used to be. The, but, the people who named it clearly uh, had some idea of what they wanted the area to be known for. Being what do, what do you mean? Unpack that for me very boring <laughs> not not creative at all and kind of rough camp five really really uh, imaginative lot when it comes to naming things the section of the portage trails that are located on the old railway grades and remnants of the old train trestles can still be seen like we said there's 50 lakes and a multitude of developed campsites and trails rate kind of raiding all over the place to like you can have Morton Lake, which is an established provincial campground. And then you got drive-in sites on Lower Campbell and Gosling and all these other places on these lakes is beautiful. And then there's remote ones like you can only get in by canoe, which is really quite magical because that's, I think, my favorite part of the route is that you can go to places that you literally feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. If you look on a map, you're not necessarily. You got these roads and stuff, but an amazing place. Uh, so that's the that's kind of the Sayward Forest canoe route in a nutshell. So you two just recently uh, went through it. So what was kind of the inspiration? Like, why did you want to go and do this route? It's been on my bucket list forever. It seems like one of the I don't know, it seems like one of the classic island routes to me, where I just know so many people have done it. You've mentioned it to me forever. I got to see you both go out on the trip a few years back, green with envy. I had to stay behind (laughs) at camp while y'all went out. Um, But yeah, it's been on my list for a really long time. I'm not really sure when I heard of it for the first time, but it's been a solid like 15 years of knowing that it's there and wanting to get out on that trail. Yeah, your friends all kind of did it in the high school as well, right? So you've been wanting to, you've been wanting to to get on the trails, for yourself, right? To do it. Yeah. And and you'd been told that it was a, a good time of of fun paddling and and great views. Yes, that's what I was told. <laughs> but uh... see, I I thought for sure that I had told you all the stories of 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 when Benj and I did it, and and how incredible the uh the effort needed there is it's like, <laughs> is. that's kind of the challenging thing about trying to convince somebody like when you're trying to convince somebody to go hiking somewhere you're like there's cool stuff at the end right yeah Usually, that's fair yeah right there's cool stuff at the end you're like there's a waterfall there's a bridge there's a hydro dam a mountain. <laughs> there's a view from the top of the mountain exactly yeah. right like that's the selling factor when when you're portaging 
you're when we were doing it for the first time when we were having um, students coming along with us you're convincing them another lake that's what's on the other there's side. another lake <laughs> you will get to paddle again i promise yeah, you'll it's get to, not all walking it's not yeah. all walking and then you get to that other lake and then we're gonna get to another lake. <laughs> There'll be food at the end of the day, and it'll be really enjoyable. So after what you've just done, <laughs> I think our worst mistake for that trip was that um, we made the mistake of letting the campers look at the menu oh, yeah. and the map and the schedule. Yes, they knew and the it, schedule. They, oh, the one which, they had it memorized, which in instantly. some ways is really a, can be a really helpful tool. I've heard teachers who do that. You know, they lay out the schedule and stuff like that, and it's really good. You know, especially if you got anxiety and stuff. I totally get that. We had like-minded individuals that were a group of, of young men who were all very, you know, bent on trying to demoralize and crush us. They wanted to keep us on schedule. Yeah, yeah. And I, if you know anything about portaging, it's always running into unexpected. There's variables. You you never, it, uh, if there's any kind of outdoors trip that you can do that you will not keep a very solid schedule, it's, it's portaging. Totally. So sum up for me, kind of, what what uh, your game plan going into it? Which direction? Where did you start? Um, bumps and scrapes along the way. What do you got? Well, the game plan based on your recommendation was to start. Oh, I don't know if we off... should start with my recommendation. Oh, this is going to look bad. Anything <laughs> no, bad no, no, no. It kidding. was a great recommendation. We we were really glad for it, and it and it uh, serendipitously worked out for us because of the direction of the wind on the trip, which we can get into later. But the. Uh, yeah, we started at Mohun Lake, dropped in there, and we carried on in a counterclockwise direction, went north up from Mohun and around the circle. Um, yeah, you mentioned before it's like a big oval, right? Yeah. So to paint everybody a picture, it's a big oval with lakes kind of connecting at different places. Yeah. yeah, and the lakes are various sizes. So Mohun is one of the bigger lakes on the chain. From Mohun, you go north and you get a smaller, skinnier lake. The section across the top of the oval is a lot of portaging and one very small lake. And then you get back coming down the other side of it and you get another two nicely moderately sized lakes coming down there. And then a lot of really, really small lakes that probably don't deserve to be called lakes because at this time in the year, on a really hot year, they are not lakes. They are mud puddles or ponds yes. of some kind. And then eventually... Glorified marshes. Exactly, wetlands. exactly. <laughs> Described as wetlands on the map. Yeah. <laughs> Water not, once was here. Once being the <laughs> operative word there. Once long ago. Yeah, a few months ago before the hottest summer on record. Yeah. Uh, and then around the bottom of the oval is Lower Campbell Lake, Upper Campbell Lake, Lower Campbell, Lower, Lower Campbell, Campbell Lake, Campbell, yeah. and that's a that's the biggest chunk of paddling in the whole chain. Mm-hmm. And then from Lower Campbell, you get another skinny little lake connecting up to basically the two really small ones. Then you're back where you started at Mohun. Nice, nice. So as far as this was, your, Rachel, this was your first experience with portaging or is it you had done a little bit before? Uh, this was essentially my first experience with right. portaging. The first like multi-day. Yeah. Going to do it. Yeah. You've carried canoes places, a billion places, but this is kind of, so with your expectations going into it, kind of in, I think what's beneficial to somebody listening in and going, oh yeah, Sarah Canoe Route, totally thought about doing that. Did it, uh, did the portage sections especially were they like way above what you thought they were going to be or were they kind of close to where you expected? 
The actual portages on the trails. So if you're thinking of doing this when all the lakes are at an ideal level and you're not at the end of the season, so all the water is high enough, so you've got channels that you do get to paddle through and whatnot, the actual portage trails were great. They were about a hundred times better than I expected them to be. I thought they were going to be narrow, twisting, turning, roots and rocks, and they weren't. They were all a meter wide, well-defined, clearly signed, cut out trails in the bush that when you got your canoe balanced on your wheels and you had just taken the time to set it upright, the trails themselves were lovely. Hmm. I was very, very pleasantly surprised by the actual on-land portions of the route as marked. Uh, the sections that I did not really have an imagination for when we went into the trip was where the water level would be so low that you can't really put the wheels on in portage because you're in a riverbed, so the rocks are too big. It's so mucky, or it's right? So There's mucky so many and so muddy. That are in the so ground. you're walking beside your canoe, but you're like waist deep in mud. That was the that was the part that I did have didn't have any imagination for <laughs> going into the trip. There's one picture that you sent um, that had the two of you, and I'm definitely going to have to post it on our on our sites for sure. But it was you were taking a picture of a selfie, and you just see Nathan's leg, and you're like, you, you think he's wearing pants at first, but it's just mud, and yeah. it just keeps on going, and uh, it's, it's a very nice set of stockings. I, I lost a croc to the swamp. Uh, <laughs> had to go down on all fours and dig it back out, but crocs living in the swamp now. Yeah, crocs in the swamp. There you go. That's that's the stuff, kind of stuff I'll keep my kids awake at night. so uh, what places did you end up camping where did you camp so we stopped for the night at uh like like rachel said we went around the top uh, went up up through twin lake and then we came back around we stopped at umur lake the first night Uh, Amur. there's uh there's an island on umur lake um it's more like is weird it's kind of shaped like a like an l but upside down I prefer bug splat. Bug splat, kind of. Big old bug splat. There's a bunch of arms to a moor lake. And so you you come in one of the long arms and you turn and you take a 90 degree right. Mm -hmm. Sorry, left. (laughs) You're on the left. 90 degrees left. Important. (laughs) Rachel's pointing the other Important not to get lost, as we'll talk about later. (laughs) Uh, You'll take a 90 degree left and then there's some some wreck sites that are pleasantly scattered amongst uh, a few different islands and stuff. So we managed to find a rustic site on one of the islands that was... Very beautiful, super nice, and it was a good spot to camp. Yeah, there are a few different kinds of uh, sites along the way. There, You've got your drive-in rec sites that are sometimes managed by a host, and those are the ones that you can get to on a logging road. And then you've got other rec sites that are boat access only, but that will still have an outhouse and whatnot. And then you have your rustic sites. And the rustic sites are different because they generally are either boat they're generally boat access only Mm -hmm. and they may or may not have a green throne or a little like box in the woods that you can sit on to do your business they're quite they won't have a picnic table it'll just be a one spot that you can put your tent and a little area most of them have fire pits from from camping in the off season but Mm -hmm. yes there's a couple different kind of sites you can look for so we found a rustic site on our first night at a moor and then on our second day, we went down the side of the oval all the way down to, we were aiming for Fry Lake, but there were a few groups doing the chain at the same time as us 
who uh, skipped some of the gnarlier sections that we got stuck in that day. And it's got road access there too, so I feel like it's it's a little bit more popular. It's, it's really yeah. pretty, but this it's got... Yeah, yeah. There's so a lot of people can get in by there. the time we got to Fry Lake, late in the evening, all of the sites were already taken. So we ended up carrying on, and so our second day was long. We went from a moor all the way down to another island rustic spot on Lower Campbell. We started at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And we, we finished at like 7.30. Almost 8 p.m. It was, the sun was going down basically as we were unpacking the canoe. Yeah. The way it should be. Just that beautiful sun, that little bit of panic that you know that you need to make dinner. Do all these <laughs> Get the water things. purified, make the yeah. dinner, put the tent up real quick, go to bed. <laughs> that was it. I think that's something that... If somebody here is listening and you want to get in the outdoors and you want to do something in the wilderness, everything takes so much more time. And that's not something that I think that's probably the biggest surprise. And if I go back to like when we did this route the first time, I think that the students that we had with us, that was the biggest surprise. They were like, well, well, well we can just go swimming. It's like, no, nah, man, we got to go and do dinner prep. We got to get the tents up. Oh, we got lots of time. Like, actually, we've got one and a half hours until it's dark. Yeah. And then things get a little bit trickier, right? And then it's a little bit more difficult. And so it's a different pace. Um, I don't know about you, but that's something I love about it. I think that that's really a special part about something like the canoe route is that you you can kind of pick and choose a little bit where you want to go at your own pace, especially for this one, because it does have quite a few options, which is nice. So if you want to do it at like a breakneck pace, we were both talking with uh, with the uh, the park operators up at Morton Lake, shout out to uh, the Travel, no, the Love Shack, Travco. I keep mentioning mm-hmm. them because they're just fabulous. They're they're also family. They're pretty cool. But they were saying they had people come in there, and it was seven and a half hours was their record? Yep. To do the whole chain. Around the entire chain. They apparently packed only trail mix and water. They had no food other than trail mix and water. They didn't bring backpacks. They didn't bring anything with them except it was two guys and an ultralight canoe, which they put over their heads and they ran every trail and every portage and they paddled like stink down every lake and they did the entire route in seven and a half hours. And I, I want I want to meet these individuals so badly. So if somebody's listening and they know the people that were able to pull this off in seven and a half hours, I'd love to buy them a drink. There's just <laughs> and hear your story. Like that is just amazing. That's that's something phenomenal because I I would be broken. Not no word of a lie. I would be broken. Well, supposedly and allegedly, according to the said park operators we mentioned before, they they were as well. Yeah. And uh, and it was it was kind of like a, a get back and crash for half a day. Yeah. Kind of no kind of deal, at the campsite. But yeah. Neat goal though. Really neat goal, and it sounded like they they knew what they were doing. Super impressive. Uh, so, I mean, we could talk about so many different things, but I think I more want to go with like asking because you were doing this the first time as a couple and you were doing this in a, in a way of you've done it once before mm-hmm. you've never done it before what are some things that you would pass on to some people and be like this would be helpful doing this route which also is like what were your close well, calls and then you were like that was close um paying close attention to the map that's a big one paying paying really close attention to to the map you're on knowing where you are because especially if you're doing this for the first time or even if you're doing this for second or third time and you haven't done it for a while, 
um, finding landmarks mm. and f- figuring out the shape of a lake and where you are on it currently is not an easy task, especially when the lakes are smaller and kind of anamorphous in shape. Sure. So, <laughs> like, we uh, like we had an issue with... An- that, that, that was a good word. Amorphous? Amorphous. Amorphous. We can scrap that. Oh, well. <laughs> just, my, my ignorance was that it just sounded cool. It sounded cool. It sounded great. If it sounds Rachel's cool, like, it's no, true, right? Neither of those words are right. It's amorphous. Amorphous. Okay. Well, no, that's awesome. good. That's, that, we need you in our lives, Rachel. So badly. I got great. you. <laughs> great. But anyway, yes. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. So like the first day we had a big issue where... Um, where we had we had gotten ourselves into a small lake, a small a small pond, I guess it was more like, and uh, and neither of us, well, I didn't remember which way to, we had gone the first time, and Rachel had never been there before, so we made the decision to follow uh, a river that looked clear because the only other way out of the lake was blocked by something that we didn't spend time looking at very closely, and we ended up going the wrong way. We ended up taking a, a river up a channel that ended in a, a large beaver dam that we had to bring the canoe up and over again, portage, uh, into what was a marsh or like a wetlands, but had turned into a little bit more of a lake because of said beaver dam. And then we we figured out after a, quite a while that we'd gotten ourselves quite lost and it took us actually pulling out a phone and using like the offline GPS to kind of locate where we were and then match it to the map. Right. Bring us, bring us. So you're back using now. a physical yeah. map. That was, that was my other yeah. question. You had a physical map. We were using calling. a physical map, a waterproof map. That's yeah. pretty important because you know canoeing. You want things to be waterproof and or be able to get wet. So mm. having a, a map that was waterproof was nice because if it ever got dirty or wet, you just throw it in the water, clean yeah. it off. Yeah. Um, and it had the the canoe chain labeled on the map as well, so that we we knew the path to take. We knew which which bays to go in and which mm. which ones to to not. Um, but yeah, no. Small lake, easy to get lost. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I love that you put that out because even experienced individuals like yourselves, like you you've you've done road finding, you've done hikes, you've done lots of different stuff in the outdoors, you've led people in the outdoors. I think that's the thing that I take away from that is I still get lost. I still get turned around. And no matter how many times I've been somewhere, you all of a sudden get to a point. And so it's important to have those extra tools if you can, right? Like not everybody's got all of the, the, the fun toys and everything that you do have. Uh, you want to do with the best that you can. But I like what you said, kind of pointing out the, the landmarks and stuff like that. That's important to have those, have those bearings and going, I know that that's that direction um, at the very, very least. Yeah. 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 What else? What other things do you think of that, uh, that would be helpful for those that would be interested in the canoe, canoe route? Or just portaging in general. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing is thinking about what time of year that you want to go. We had time off now, so we made the choice to go in August after the hottest summer on record with the least amount of rainfall we have had on the island in I don't know how many years. Maybe not your best time because, as I alluded to earlier, there were a lot of sections how I said the trails were lovely. The trails that you were supposed to portage on were a fantastic experience, but all of the channels and the ways in and out of each lake before and after you get on or off of a trail were a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Our second day took us so many hours. A 300 meter section took us an hour and a half at one point in time because there was no way to get through it with wheels 
there was no way to get through it with your pack on your back. So at some points in time, we were dragging canoes through, like our canoe through a muddy marsh, or one of us was in the canoe, the other one was bushwhacking. We took our canoe off of the trail at one point in time to take a game trail to bypass another section. And all of this was because the water level was so low that we couldn't take the intended route. So if you're thinking about doing a canoe route or a route that involves portaging, planning your trip for some time in May or June, depending on the area that you're in, after you've had some springtime rain, everything's full up from the winter, you've maybe had a couple hot days which has started the snow melt off the mountains, just so that you have the opportunity for kind of an optimal paddling trip, still with portaging sections, but not with so much of the slog. Our second day was an absolute slog and I had about a four hour chunk of bad attitude and uh dark mode yeah dark, dark mode real dark places. dark moments they happen on trails they happen on trips and we all get there we do we yeah. all get there and i definitely got there on our second day there were two sections if you're thinking of still doing it this summer here's your warning south of brewster to gray lake and then again from gray lake to fry lake are not fun there's a logging road that runs right beside it and you will save yourself four to five hours of your day and a lot of like pain physical pain if you just take the logging road if you're going to do it late in the season i love i want to circle back to what you talked about with that uh you alluded to it anyway the type one type two fun type of idea right the quick you know do a tube ride and then the secondary one and so if you're listening to this and you're like that sounds like something i never want to do and i'm an outdoorsy person would you still look back on that and be like, it was worth it? Yes, uh, definitely for sure. Says I, the chronic I, I optimist. Would. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd do it again. I'd, I'd do it again. You I'd, did I'd, do it again. This is your second time. Well, this is more maybe a question for Rachel. but no, maybe, no, maybe I'm just like a little sadistic, but I'd do it again in the same time of year and just and just suffer through all the worst parts of it just for the sake of suffering through the worst parts of it. There's something, there's something beautiful. To there, it, there's know? something uh, alluring about doing something hard and knowing you've done it uh, almost as hard as you p- can possibly do it and still coming out the other side with mud and scrapes and cuts all over you. And, and there's, a, there's definitely a sense of pride in that. I, I don't know about Rachel. What... Yeah, I think I share that sense of pride because we did it and we had to do it. That was actually a day, another thing that I was going to bring up is we set ourselves a turnaround time that day Mm, when we were stuck in one spot and we just could not like, it was either we go up neck deep in mud and maybe lose our boots or our limbs. Like we couldn't see into the bottom of the body of water. It was just mud. Um, We set ourselves a turnaround time to say at this time we are turning around and going back to the logging road. Mm. And That's that, important. Yeah, it yeah. was really important because we were running, we had an hour and a half of reliable daylight left. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of set that boundary for ourselves and it lit a fire under our butts and we managed to hustle through and get get through to our final destination. Well, but, well when you're three quarters of the way through the, the, the terrible part that you're doing and you're getting close to the turnaround time, you don't want to go back through that. It's true. But back to the, back to the conversation about Uh, which kind of fun you're having. There's a sense of pride Mm. in the fact that we've done it now. But if I'm really honest, now that I've done the route once, if I were to do it again late in season, I would skip that part personally. But that's 
if I were to do the route at a better time in the season, earlier in the season, I would absolutely do it again. For me, now that I've done it once, I don't feel the need to like prove myself and do it again and embrace the suck all over again. I would be looking for a different kind of experience if I were to do it a second time, trying to go at optimal times for water level instead. But if you haven't done it before, I do think that you should just go do the whole route because it, yeah, it is a feeling of pride and accomplishment at the end of it. You're pretty amazed at what you can handle mentally and your body as well. I, I think uh, one of the one of the things that came to mind while you were talking about that is that I have a lot of a lot of buddies that will redo the same mountains. Uh, I have a lot of a lot of friends who like to do like the same peaks. You'd be like, we're gonna hit up this peak. We're gonna go do this again. I'm a, I'm a little bit on your camp here, Rachel. That I, I like conquering different places, and there's some like. If you've listened to the podcast, I, I sound like I have a, a, a deep and meaningful relationship with Albert Edward, you know, and you're like, well, okay, you keep going back. There's something that's deeply special to it, right? That there's memories tied to it. But I don't have that with every single mountain like, or every single trail or every single portage or canoe route. I have it with these different spots. And so it's, I'm a little bit there too. It's like, it's fun to go and explore that next place. So I'm going to expend time. I want to go and expend that time. I want to use it at a place that's new and exciting. And there's something about that, yet there's just as much value about like kind of matching. So these guys yeah, that were doing the Sabre canoe route, trying to beat their own time, keep coming back. Like, you know, for me, I'd be like, well, I just go to different routes. Like, I don't think I'd kind of keep doing it, but it's neat, right, to measure that. And so there's that, I love that there's that difference in the way that people experience, especially if they're doing it on that more enthusiast. I also love where it's come from. I think that if we could go back in time, I was looking into the history of portaging, especially in Canada. Like it, it goes back like ancient Greece and all of these other places where they made these cool paths between water bodies to be able to carry boats or put them on rollers or whatever they had and do these carts and stuff. And so there's like a lot of history from getting boat from A to B. And then they make canals and all these other fun stuff. But I think it would be absolutely like if you could go back in time, like one of these shows that goes back in time and you're like, we do this for fun now. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't get it. No, no, no. We do, we do it to challenge ourselves. I, I feel like they'd look at you and be like, you're, you're okay. mad. Okay. Okay. Right? Sure, sure. Right? Like it's, it's, it's funny how those things that were necessities at one point in our history. So you look at especially like I was reading up about, uh, I'm not going to say it right. It's, it's either methy or methy or meth portage. It's in Saskatchewan. And it had all these different places for the fur trade. And so it's this huge, big, massive section of land that they're doing this and and they're carrying stuff with these different um, techniques called tump line have you ever heard of tump line I, again Ooh. might not be pronouncing it correctly but basically it's that strap that goes along your forehead mm. and carries everything down your back so that you're taking the load instead of putting it on your shoulders so when you're portaging you sometimes have stuff in the boat and then you have stuff on your back what they would do is they would actually have it strapped like around their head um, like a big old head bandana except that bandana is carrying all their weight like up to 90 pounds like on their neck yeah so like they they tilt their head forward if you get the picture of it they have this strap that's going across the front of their forehead you can look this up on like tump line that's that's the best i can do t-u-m-p-l-i-n-e oh my goodness and and they carry it and that's how they would do it because you had the boat on your head sometimes too right so right. if you think about it, you got the backpack and you're hitting it. It doesn't really work. You got to have that load lower. Mm-hmm. So they would transfer the weight by putting it through their spine all the way down. Common death was like hernia. 
Oh my goodness. Like strangulated hernia was like a regular cause of death for these fur trade folks. And so it was just wild. Like it was gnarly. It was hard. And then, you know, they slowly but surely made these different settlements and stuff along the way to make it easier. And at some point it became actually a business for people. They'd have a cart. I was looking at some pictures and they have like a horse-drawn cart and it's got like four canoes all stacked like a canoe trailer you'd see on the road today except it was being pulled by a horse wow. it was like so a, cool like right? an old like wagon yeah and then they had they actually had railway tracks at some point specifically for portage like it was a big deal it was a big part of their culture but never really something that necessarily was like recreation so no I, no no i feel like people back then would look at this now and say yeah we didn't like that so we built canals yeah, exactly. we figured out that we could cut huge swaths of the earth away and make rivers where there was none and we did that instead but i find it fascinating there's so many things that generation to generation and even sometimes a couple of generations apart you'll see that and there's that big difference right there's something that they looked at and went that was hard difficult we hated it and then a couple generations later, all of a sudden, it's like the thing to do. It's fascinating. I love the way that that changes. Well, we get so removed, I find. Like, we live on the island. We live in Campbell River, this beautiful oceanside town. And yet, how many times have we gone and walked beside the ocean on purpose this year? Like, twice, right? We get so removed from the rhythms of the natural world happening around us that there's something just so deeply refreshing about being in the natural world. So if you need, if you want to go outside and you want to spend that time outside and the way to do it is portaging and paddling, it, it's a, it's a kind of trade-off in a sense, right? It doesn't really matter that it's maybe not the most objectively fun activity on the planet. There's something about being connected to I need to get up with the sun and I need to go to bed with the sun mm-hmm. yeah, and I yeah. need to think about how the wind is going to influence our trip. Is it going to be at our backs? Are our days going to be twice as long because we're paddling against the wind? And there's just so many, you just get back in touch with being outside and being in nature in a way that normal life doesn't get you so yeah we're removed from the the necessity of having to do these things but there's something about them that is i don't know calming to me it's grounding you're outside and there's nowhere else you can go so you're just kind of you get forced into like you get forced into the into nature's mold instead of you bending nature to suit your wishes yeah absolutely it's a hard reset on every level you know, and it's such a fabulous experience every single time you get to do it because it's a refreshing thing right to the very soul of who you are. Just being able to spend that time in the wilderness, turn off your phone, you don't have all the things of life and all of the, the, the rat race that we all live. And I think that that's kind of the big takeaway for me is that these experiences really do add to our lives and that there is something really special about doing that. And so I think it's fun to kind of come full circle with, you know, originally like, uh, I don't know. But still, there's something you take away. There's still something that you walk away and go, you know, actually, there was a huge amount of value in that. This has been awesome. And it went by so fast. It went by so, so fast. I, I could keep doing this for hours with you guys. But I really, really want to thank both of you uh, for coming and, and talking about your experiences. I know that there are lots, lots more. What are your uh, what are your parting words, Nathan? You're, you're leaning in. Parting words... Portage is hard, but paddling gives you such a such a sense of traveling somewhere that 
it's it's hard to not do again hmm. it's hard to stay away from it's hard to not want to do once you've done it before it's it's like an itch almost and uh and if i had if i got the chance to do it again i'd do it again 100 percent. nice how about you rachel I think my parting words and one of the last things I was going to say in the advice portion of the show was that you need to have a, a deep uh, respect and fondness for the person that you do a trip like this with. Good. Yes. Um, yes. We chatted with the park operator and at the end of at the end of our trip, we came off the lake chain smiling and she said that she can't even count on all her fingers and toes how many people have come off the lake chain icy cold to each other. Just not speaking, not communicating anymore, clearly upset with one another for something that happened when you're on the trail. And I had, I admittedly had my four-hour uh, bad attitude moment, and Nathan had a little moment of, of his own, much smaller than mine, much, much smaller, but it was still there. Um, but we got through it and decided to enjoy the, where we were, enjoy each other's company and actually trust that the other person knew what they were doing, had a good idea in mind. And I think, yeah, having that respect and, and a genuine fondness for who you're doing the trip with will go a long way because it could have been a make it or break it trip. There were, there was those two sections of trail that were nasty. Mm -hmm. There was our three hour detour that was not fun, Mm -hmm. but being with the right person makes it fun or if not fun at least tolerable and Mm. then you come out with a good experience and stories to tell and no no lingering conflict or anything like that so that's that's where i would leave it it was an excellent time outside the wind was at our backs the whole time it was beautiful and i got to do it with a great person so don't do this trip to fix your relationship. No. 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 Bad big, idea. Big no. Big bad, 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 bad idea. Do not do that. No. Wise words. Wise words. But no, honestly, in all seriousness, that's a, that's a beautiful way to, to wrap that up. I think that it really is an important thing. And it's, it's something, one of those activities and experiences that really shows you what you're made of and shows what your relationship's made of. And so it's really cool to hear that portion of it too because a lot of the stuff that we do, you know, it's it's your individual thing, but it's neat to be able to do things together. And it's really important to have that aspect too because experiencing the wilderness by ourselves is one thing, but doing it with others is a whole entirely different thing. Mm. And uh, I really love bringing that part of it too. So where can the people follow you to see all your grand adventures? Uh, people can find me on Instagram. Me, Nathan. Me, Nathan, on Instagram. Uh, Nathan.juiceman13. Nice. I just I just post pictures of stuff. I never got the Juice Man thing. What is what is the history of the it, Juice Man thing? It's a long story. It's an inside joke. It's a, oh, it's a, it's a trip I should expect no less. No, we yeah. A group. Yeah. I, it was like a thing that happened. We, Me and a, a group of people from our church that, that I attended went on a youth group trip to New York to to hang out with a mission called like metro world child Mm. and and it was this thing where we were at a at a at a soup kitchen and the nice lady made me the 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 master of the juice so i handed out juice because i was big and imposing and people were really particular about the juice that they got and we had 13 and you could grow a beard at like 15 yeah basically yeah and i we our group of of kids was like 13 people in total so i was always in the back of the group and I was always number 13 out of all the catchers. So I just 
grab the tagline juice man 13 <laughs> i've actually wanted to know i've never i've never figured it out that's brilliant i love it and rachel yeah you can find me on instagram at rachel schwartz just my name nice pretty standard no yep. t in schwartz no she no t in schwartz yeah not the schwartz no it's still pronounced the same way but just no t and then i also am on instagram for my floral business i do a wedding floral business and you can find me on there at crescendo floral studio beautiful stuff absolutely beautiful you got to tell us a little bit more about it though like you can't just give us just the name like what do you what are you doing with crescendo yeah of course i'm a vancouver island florist meaning i source all of my flowers and my foliage locally i'm a wedding florist at this point in time i'm doing weddings and larger events and when you book your wedding with me you are going to be getting flowers that were grown within hours of where you live only the freshest and best and the most local, trying to support the local farmers and also just create with the, the absolute abundance that's available to us here on the island instead of having flowers that are flown halfway across the world to get here. So And natural based too. Like I think one of the things that I really love about what you're doing too is like a lot of it's it's really natural based. Like and that sounded funny to me when I first heard it, but can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so what that means is that Everything that I use in my floral business is recycled and reused over and over again. I don't use floral foam in any arrangements. I find other alternatives and workarounds like instead of using foam, I'll use moss. And the same bit of moss that I gather at the beginning of a wedding season will last me all the way through to the following year if I care for it well. So really a big emphasis on sustainability and slow flowers, meaning they're grown here using sustainable methods by farmers who care and put in the work and yeah, just trying to keep it really local, not using like paints or sprays or anything like that on the flowers. Like I want the flowers that come to you on your wedding day to be able to be handled by everybody, dogs, kids, people, you, and you know that you're not touching anything gross and that you shouldn't have to go wash your hands after you're handling your own bouquet. Absolutely. I loved following through. You you listed a whole list of these promises of the standards that you're holding yourself and your business to. And it's absolutely fabulous. So if you get a chance, follow Rachel Crescendo Floral Studio. Did I say that right? Yep. Facebook, Instagram, and website. Is it yeah. .ca? Yeah, .ca. Yep. .ca. Check it out. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, you both, for coming on the Wild Islanders. It's been great to have you all. And we're looking forward to hearing your next adventures and watching and seeing how it all unfolds. It's been so fun to be here. Thank you, Benj. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week on a Wild Islander Wednesday. Bye for now. <laughs>